All right, so we are in the book of Acts. We are in chapter 16. We are going to start in verse 6, and we're going to read through verse 40. So if you can turn in your Bibles to Acts 16, we'll, we'll pick up from where we left off last week. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Messiah, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple, purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. <clears throat> the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her whole household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought to her owners much gain by her fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into, the, into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a, a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, 
you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have, have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. And then they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Thus ends our reading of God's liberating word. May all who hear it find that they have been set free by King Jesus. The question I ask the kids, I ask to you now. What is freedom? Freedom is a word that gets thrown around a lot, is it not? land of the free, right? We're Americans. We should know what freedom is. What does real freedom actually look like? What, what does it mean to be truly free? I mean, in, in America, we, we, we tend to look at freedom in a certain way. We, we tend to think of ourselves as free, right? I mean, I have my rights. <laughs> I have my God-given freedoms. And so there is no power that can tell me what I can and cannot do. I will do whatever pleases me. Because I have hurled off all authority and have become my own master. I mean, is this not what we tend to think of when we think of freedom? That I can do as I please? But that's not what true freedom is, is it? In fact, what I, what I just described is actually the opposite of true freedom. For in reality, there, there, there are still masters who are over you. Masters who are, who are cruel and controlling. Masters who are, who are telling you exactly what they want you to do. And those masters are the world, the devil, and even your own sinful flesh. Yes, these, these masters have names, and they are out to trick you and to confuse you and to make you think that you are free because you can do whatever you want. And yet, in reality, what you are actually doing is their bidding. No. True freedom is not the ability to do. Rather, true freedom is the ability to refrain from doing something. Turn with me to the, the book of Romans, where we see the Apostle Paul laying this out clearly. Look at, look at Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 23. 
Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law but under grace. What then? Are we, to, are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves to righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For, for the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now there's a lot there, but what Paul is demonstrating to us in this passage is, is that there are two different masters, right? There is sin and there is God. And so this notion that people are free to do whatever they please is a big fat lie. You will always have a master. The only question is, is your master kind or is your master cruel? Will your master lead you to life or will your master lead you to death? You see, in Jesus, the world's notion of freedom is flipped totally upside down. For true freedom is only obtained through submission. Submission to Jesus Christ. And that's because you will always have a master. Always. The only question is, who is your master? Unfortunately, today, the majority of us have bowed the knee to cruel masters. And while this may look like freedom, it's, it's really enslavement. And the resultant fruit, what did, what did Paul say? The resultant fruit is death. And yet for those who are in Christ, those who have submitted themselves to King Jesus, they, they will find that they have been freed. Freed from their sin, but also freed from the world and from the devil. And the resultant fruit to this submission to King Jesus is eternal life. And so true freedom isn't freedom to do what we want. Rather, it is freedom from these evils that have enslaved us. 
And it is this notion of freedom that, that is highlighted in our text for today. Let's, let's jump into our passage and see, see how this plays out. Look at, look at Acts chapter 16, verses 6 and 7 once again. It says this, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, and when they had come to Mycenae, they, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Now, now, in order for us to understand what is going on here, we must first kind of remind ourselves of what was going on previously, right? If you recall, Peter had already begun his second missionary journey. Both he and Silas were delivering letters from the council in Jerusalem, declaring that, that circumcision was no longer a, a, a necessary requirement for these Gentile believers to enter into the kingdom of God. And so they were bringing this good news to all the churches that, that Paul had planted on his first missionary journey. And if you remember, it was early on in this mission in the city of Lystra that Paul met a young man named Timothy, a man who was both half Greek and half Jew, this perfect candidate for Paul to take under his wings as his own disciple. And so Timothy joined Paul and Silas, and they continued forward in the gospel. But now, where we're at today, they have delivered all the letters to all the different churches, and Paul wanted to press onward. He wanted to bring the gospel to more and more cities. He had already reached much of Galatia, and so it only makes sense to go into either Asia or Bithynia next. Let's pause for a second. Let's take a look at this map, if we can put that up there real quick. And so you see that, that green region at the top right? That's, that's Galatia, where Paul and his company currently were, where all those churches had been planted before. And to the north of Galatia, you see Bithynia. Um, and to the west is Asia. And so common sense would dictate that, that either of those regions would be the logical choice of, of where to bring the gospel next, right? I mean, it's the next region. Let's just go there. And yet for some reason, King Jesus had other ideas. I mean, consider the language that, that Luke is using here. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. They attempted to go into Bithynia, but, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. This, this team of missionaries twice had to, had to change routes because the Holy Spirit was preventing them. So what's going on here? Forbidden? Did not allow? What, what is this language? How, how are they forbidden? How were they not allowed? Well, Luke doesn't give us the details, unfortunately, as much as I would love to know how that happened. But what we do know is that for whatever reason, Jesus was not going to permit his servants to preach the gospel in those regions, at least not yet. But not only was the Holy Spirit preventing them, but as we'll soon see, he would be directing these missionaries as well. He would actually guide them to the very place where he wanted them to go. Look, look at the next few verses. Look at verses 8 through 12. 
So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And so we now see how the, the direct hand of God was guiding this mission. Jesus had sent this vision to Paul, letting him know that, that it was to Macedonia that he was calling him to. That for whatever reason, both Bithynia and Asia would have to wait. But that in Macedonia, there was this urgent need. And so while it didn't make logical sense, it was still Christ's will. And so that's what they would do. Paul and his friends, they would submit to the will of their master. And here's the thing. True servants of God, they need to understand, they need to learn that they are under the compulsion of King Jesus. That it is his will which is to supersede our own will. And believe it or not, this, this is what true freedom looks like. For, for when we are in Christ Jesus, what he does is he, he frees us from the will of men and places us, us under the will of the Father. And a lot of times this is difficult, right? We like following our own will. We like doing it our way. And yet Christ calls us to submit. We, we are to reject the plans of men, and particularly when God is blocking our path. Paul and his companions were under direct orders from King Jesus, and so they needed to let go of their own ambitions and follow where Christ was leading them. And so this is why they crossed that, the Aegean Sea and made their way to Philippi, which Luke describes as a, a leading city in the district of Macedonia, the very place where Jesus had called them. And so we see Paul and his companions, they were submitting themselves to the authority of their king. Now, now before we move on to, to the next section of our scripture, I, I want to make note of one strange thing that we do see in this section this sudden use of the word we. Now, why is this here? Who is this we? Luke is now including himself in this ragtag group of missionaries. And so somewhere along the way, somewhere probably back in Galatia, Luke had joined this, this company, becoming himself a disciple of Paul. This group of three is now a group of four. With that being said, let's, let's continue with our passage. Let's see what Jesus was calling, to, calling them to in Philippi. Look at verses 13 through 15. 
And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we, <clears throat> and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So we are now in Philippi, right? A, a city, a leading city in Macedonia, a city of between five and 10,000 people. Now, did this city have a strong Jewish community? Well, we're not sure, but, but the fact that these Jews were meeting outside the city walls at a place near the river, it indicates to us that their numbers were probably not great. There was no synagogue for them to go to. And that's why they met down by this river. And, and somehow Paul had gotten wind that, that that's where they regularly met each and every Sabbath. And what does Paul do when he first goes into a city? He goes to the Jews first. And so it was on this Sabbath morning that Paul met this woman named Lydia. And Luke tells us three things about her. One, that she was from Thyatira. Two, that she was a seller of purple goods. And three, that she was a worshiper of God. Basically, she was either a Jew or a Jewish convert who was also a very, very industrious woman. You see, Thyatira, the place where she was from, was, was actually located back east in Asia. And it was in Thyatira where these purple dyes were made. And so Lydia probably had to routinely make trips back and forth, crossing the Aegean Sea to get her goods to Philippi. She was an industrious woman and most likely a wealthy woman, being able to manage such, such a successful business. And being able to trade this way also meant that she was a free woman. As under Roman law, only free people had the authority to sell goods. Slaves were not allowed. And so she was a woman who who was most likely used to many privileges. Now, now, when you look at Lydia's life, by all worldly standards, she seemed to have it all. Did she not? I mean, she was wealthy, she was part of a community, and she was free. And yet when Paul spoke, something had awoken within her that made her rethink how good her life truly was. Listen, the, the, the freedom that the world offers is a facade. It is this little game that is played that makes you want to think that you have everything under control. And you may be at a place where everything seems under control. Your finances are good. Your house is paid off. You have a healthy retirement. And yet what you fail to notice because of all these worldly distractions is that you are drowning in a debt of your own sins. 
You see, it wasn't until Paul preached the saving message of Jesus Christ that this free woman named Lydia understood that she truly was enslaved. Enslaved by her sins. And and her debt was, was so big that she would never, ever be able to pay it off. She was going to need a redeemer. She was going to need someone who could pay that debt for her. She was going to need Jesus. I mean, even consider the way that that Luke has worded this little section. He said, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. In other words, God needed to step into her life in order to rescue this woman. She would have never understood that she wasn't free, that, that, that she was enslaved to her sins unless God had opened her eyes. Her life was just too good to see it in her own strength. And yet God did open her eyes, allowing her to see the truth, the truth that she wasn't free, the truth that that the weight of her sins were crushing her, the truth that, that she was in need, in need of a Savior. Perhaps you are here today and, and you are the one who is feeling crushed. The weight of your own sins have become too much. It's like you're trapped and you you can't get away. And and no matter how hard you try, your sin has this iron-tight grip that won't let go. It has mastery over you. Where you thought you were once free, you have now discovered that you are just a slave. If this is you, then know this. Jesus is able to free you from the power of sin. And and he will replace those wicked desires with a longing for his righteousness. That's, That's what we read about in the book of Romans. You can be free from this cruel, cruel master. But it's not just our sins that we need freedom from, is it? In contrast to this supposed free woman named Lydia, Luke delivers to us another account, does he not? An account of a young girl who was enslaved in more ways than one. Look at at verses 16 through 18. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. So right off the bat, we, we encounter this young girl who, who, is, who, who possesses zero freedom, right? And not only is she owned by men, but she's also under the control of this spirit of div- divination. In the Greek, it's the spirit of pythos. And yet when Paul and these other missionaries came across her path, this demon that had control over her 
Well, this demon knew exactly who these men were. And so this demon caused this poor girl to, to follow these men around wherever they went, day after day, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she just kept doing this and doing this. And I'm sure at first Paul thought very little of this girl's antics, but, but after a few days of her constant, constant harassment, you can understand how frustrated Paul would get. And he probably realized that this is demonic interference of his gospel ministry. So what did Paul do? He, he freed this girl from the demon's clutches. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And guess what? That's exactly what that demon did. He submitted to the authority of Jesus Christ. And that enslaved girl was set free. But that's what Jesus does, is it not? Praise the Lord. He has dominion over Satan and all his demonic horde. And he has the ability to rescue people from their clutches. He, he brings freedom to those who have been enslaved. Now, now in America today, particularly in certain Christian circles, of the presence of the demonic often gets downplayed. It's, a, it's almost as if we don't believe that Satan even exists, even though our Bibles tell us otherwise. Or that if he does exist, that, that he really only caused havoc in the days of Jesus and the early church. But that's just not true, is it? Satan is both alive and active. And there are demonic forces that are enslaving people even as we speak. And yet Jesus, Jesus has the power to free us from their grip. He has authority over them. And if he commands a demon to leave, then, then leave it must. We simply must trust in him that he will remove these wicked spirits and deliver to us the helper, deliver to us his Holy Spirit. Well, Paul had freed this young girl from her demonic master, and yet this freedom that was won would cost both Paul and Silas their own Freedom. Look, look at the next verses. Look at 19 through 24. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before their rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into the prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the, into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Well, seeing that their cash cow was now gone, the, the owners of the slave girl well, they would take out their revenge upon these Christian missionaries, would they not? 
They seized Paul and Silas. They dragged them to the marketplace and to the, to the public square in order that they might face the, the Philippian magistrates to be punished. And they, they accused these men of, of crimes that they didn't even commit. But it wasn't just the owners of the slave girl, was it? There were others who were condemning these two men, others from that, from that city who joined in, and before you knew it, a decision was handed down. In fact, it seems as if Paul and Silas weren't even given a chance to defend themselves. Instead, the, the magistrates had them stripped and beaten and then just tossed into prison. It was there that they were securely kept in the innermost cell with their feet bound in the stocks. This is the reward that they get for freeing this girl. They have their own freedom stripped from them. And yet in Christ, you can never be enslaved by the world. In fact, it is impossible for the world to take away the freedom that you have in him. Look, look at our next verse. Look at verses 25 and 26. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everybody's bonds were unfastened. Now, now think about this situation. Think about where these men were. They were in the midst of this city prison, most likely a, a dark and damp place. Their feet were in stocks, making it virtually impossible for, to either move about or to get comfortable. They had bruises and aches and probably open wounds from the beating they had received. And you have to remember, these men did nothing to, des to deserve this sentence. They, they were unjustly put into this position. And by all accounts, these, these men should have been fuming. They should have been bitter and angry. And yet, what was their response? They were praying. They were singing hymns to God. They were praising their master, even though they were stuck in this jail cell. But that's what true freedom does. It allows joy to burst forth under any circumstance. Because no matter how hard the world tries, it cannot take away the freedom that is in Christ. Listen, life can be very, very cruel sometimes, can it not? For, for, for the world is unjust, and oftentimes it wants to beat you down. And if our focus is upon our circumstances, then our joy can get sapped away. And yet if our focus is upon Jesus Christ, upon his eternal promises, then it doesn't matter what the world throws at you. For the joy that you have in Jesus, well, that can never be diminished. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Jesus. God is on your side. And in the end, 
he will bring you to his freedom. And this is what we see in our passage, is it not? And what did God do in response to these to, to the prayers and the praises of these men. He sent his earthquake. The chains had come loose and the doors were, were shaken open. God had brought freedom to these men, to these men who had submitted, submitted their lives to him. And yet this freedom was cause for concern for another man, a man who was enslaved the ways of the world. Look at, look at verse 27. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. And so here we see this fourth character who had been enslaved, this, this man who was in charge of the Philippian prison. And with this job came many, many pressures that the world had placed upon him. I mean, any time a, a criminal was convicted, this person suddenly became his responsibility. And so he had to deal with the worst of the worst, making sure that they were held securely, making sure that they would no longer cause these issues in society at large. And yet, when this earthquake hit and this jailer was awakened, what did he discover? The doors were wide open. This man's greatest fears had become a reality. For, for he was certain in his mind that all of these inmates had escaped. And this is where we see who his true master truly was that he was under the harsh hand of the world's system. And this is the reason why he, he was about to kill himself, right? For, for his master truly was cruel and would not tolerate any slip-ups. You see, under Roman law, the penalty for a jailer who had allowed his prisoners to escape would be to pay the penalty that those prisoners owed. And when you lose all of your prisoners... That's a lot of penalty. And there's probably bound to be one or two that had been sentenced to be crucified. This is why we see this extreme reaction from this jailer. I mean, this man would rather die quickly than, just, than to suffer that fate. Now, now, suicide may seem extreme, but think of our world today. I mean, how many people take their own lives because they couldn't handle the pressures of this world? And you hear businessmen who lose, lose millions, and what do they do? They resort to suicide rather than to face the consequences. We see cases of university students who, who couldn't deal with the pressure, the pressure of getting good grades and being successful. And so what do they do? They, they OD as a means of escape. Escape from, from this world that's constantly putting pressure upon them. And, and this is what it's like to be enslaved to the world. Enslaved to a system that is cruel and harsh. 
enslaved to a system that, that offers no forgiveness. This is why this jailer was ready to plunge his body onto his sword. And yet before he could do so, a voice cried out. Look at verse 28. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Now, I'm not sure how Paul knew that this man was about to kill himself, but somehow he did. And so with an urgent voice, Paul informed this man that all of his prisoners were still right there. Even though they had been freed from their chains, even though the doors were wide open, for some reason they all chose to stay. That makes zero sense. I don't know about you, but that, that boggles my mind. And it boggled the mind of this, this jailer. Look at verses 29 and 30. Look at this man's response. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? This man was trembling with fear. I mean, if he was afraid before, he was terrified now. For he realized that, that there was something significant about these two men. And so we asked a, a critical, critical question. A, a question that we should all be asking. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now where does this question come from? Why did this jailer ask this? Because he already knew what these men were about. In fact, the, the whole city knew. And how could they not after that demon-possessed girl kept shouting it day after day after day? These men are servants. They are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And now after this earthquake... After this Philippian jailer almost did himself in, after the fact that all the prisoners were still present, this man was shaken to his core. And the thing that he, he most desperately, desperately wanted to know was what he must do to be saved. Let's see how Paul responds. Look at, look at verses 31 through 34. And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his home. And he took, took them to the same hour, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up to his, into his house and he set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. 
Dear friends, this, this earthquake that God had sent wasn't to bring freedom to those who were in that prison. No. Rather, it was to bring freedom to this jailer, to this one who had been enslaved to the world. And that's because Jesus Christ not only has the power to free us from our sins, not only has the power to free us from the devil, but he also has the power to free us from the world as well. He takes away our desires for, for these things that are fading, and he then replaces them with a desire for things that are eternal. And we can be confident that this jailer truly had been freed. For what do we see him doing after he believed the gospel? He took Paul and Silas into his own home. He then fed them and washed them and bandaged up their wounds. He got baptized, he and his whole family. And then the last thing that Luke tells us is that he rejoiced along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. And the reason he now rejoiced was because Jesus had freedom. He had brought him to the, away from the wickedness of the world, away from all that pressure that he was under, and he brought him to the joy of his kingdom. And so we see that Jesus has the power to free us from our sins. And we see that Jesus has the power to free us from the devil. And now here we see, too, that Jesus has the power to free us from the world. And yet, like I said before, true freedom only comes through submission to Jesus Christ. He is our master. And yet for those who do not submit, what will be their end? What will be our end? What will be our end for, for us who do submit? What will we find? We will find that in the end, that all the good things, all these good things that sin and the devil and the world had taken from us, they will be restored to us. Look at, look at the end of our passage. Look at verses 35 through 40. But when, it was, but when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. You see, even though they were being released, Paul refused to go. Due to the shameful treatment that he and Silas had to endure at the hands of these magistrates, Paul now demanded that they restore their reputation. And the fact that both Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, what did it do? It brought fear into the hearts and minds of these city officials. 
For according to Roman law, it was illegal to either beat or to imprison a Roman citizen without due process. And so what does this tell us? That even these magistrates demonstrate that they too were enslaved to a cruel and wicked master. For they were a part of this worldly Roman system that, that would come down hard upon them if it was ever discovered that they had neglected their duties. You see, Rome was their master. And if word got out of what they had done, well, then they would have been liable for disregarding the laws, for protecting a Roman citizen. And that's why Paul refused to leave. If they could beat him publicly and imprison him publicly, tarnishing his reputation in the process, well, then they could bring him out publicly as well. They could apologize, rehabilitating his reputation among the, among the people of Philippi. And so they did as Paul asked, giving both him and Silas the apology and then escorting them out as free and innocent men. And this is what it's all about, is it not? Freedom, finding, finding liberty under a new master, a, a master who has freed us from all things to, to which we used to be enslaved, a, a master who can actually restore to us all that we had lost, all that we had lost when we submitted to those old masters, to sin, to the devil, to the world. A master who has defeated all of those old masters. When he went to the cross, as he submitted himself to the will of the Father. Dear friends, it doesn't matter who you are or where you are from. You will always have a master. The question is, is your master kind or is your master cruel? Will your master lead you to life or will your master lead you to death? True freedom comes through the saving work of Jesus Christ. He is a kind, kind master. A master who only wants what is best for you. Submit yourself to your new master and find true freedom. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your Son, that he has freed us from all of our former masters, from sin and from the devil and from the world, that he has rescued us from those who, who wish to bring us death, and that he now leads us into eternal life in his name. Help us to submit to his will. We can only do this through the power of your Holy Spirit. Make us into dutiful slaves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.